What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, on Wednesday, August 9th, 2017. And this is another edition of our 2017 Opponent Preview Series. And if you want to listen to this episode or any of the previous preview series podcast that we have done on the hangout in the holy land make sure to go to soundcloud.com slash land grant holy land or go to apple podcasts and search the hangout in the holy land and you can subscribe and leave a review there but for today's episode we are going to continue along ohio state's schedule into conference play and talk about an opponent ohio state hasn't played on the road for a couple of years and that is the iowa hawkeyes and to do that and to break down Iowa in their season. I am joined by one of the managing editors for Blackheart, Gold Pants, SB Nation's Iowa blog, Ben Ross. Ben, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Ready to talk some football. And and like I said, it, it seems like you know they uh, Ohio State and Iowa played in 2013, but this is a game that we don't see all that often given that they're both in different divisions. No, yeah, it's been a while. You mentioned the game in 2013, um, and that was a lot closer than people might remember even. Yeah, and and I think the, what was the, the last time that Ohio State and Iowa played in Iowa City was that 2000, was it the 2010 game? That It was a pretty good game, either 2009 or 2010, but it was a great game. It's always such an awesome atmosphere, and, Ohio State doesn't get the chance to go there a lot, and this is going to be a possible game day game. It's going to be at night, going to be in Kinnick, so you'd figure that it's going to be rocking. What do, what do Iowa fans think about that game whenever they have it? You know, I think they love uh, playing Ohio State because they love the opportunity to beat them. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often. But, you know, I think it harkens back, back you know, to the rivalries they had with Hayden Fry and Everything going back uh, to Ohio State. It's always fun to play Ohio State in any sport, and uh, especially football. You know, both great stadiums. You always get Hawkeyes traveling to Columbus. You always get Buckeyes traveling to Iowa City. Both are programs with a rich history. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people wish a game happened more often. Yeah, I know I do. It's definitely one where, just for the fan bases alone, like you're saying, that atmosphere is always charged up. But getting into the on-the-field product for Iowa – the Hawkeyes coming off an 8-5 and five season in 2016, of course, went 12-2 and two with that magical run in 2015. What would you say the state of the program is right now heading into 2017? Well, I think there's a lot more question marks than we're probably used to. We're replacing an offensive coordinator. Greg Davis is gone after spending five years in Iowa City. He's retired, replaced by Brian Ferentz, who, of course, is the son of of Iowa head coach and the dean of college football coaches, Kirk. Uh, this will be his first time calling an offense for a major college, calling an offense at all. Previously, the offensive line, uh, sort of quality control, run game coordinator, he sort of had a ominous title at Iowa. But, um, you know, previously tight ends coach uh, at New England before that for the Patriots. So I think there is some optimism uh, letting a younger guy come in and sort of take the keys to the offense. Is there going to be any change in philosophy for what Iowa does, or since he's been on that staff for a little bit, is it going to be more of what we've seen 
under Greg Davis? You know, we don't really know. I'm optimistic that there will be some change in philosophy simply because is, uh, Brian Ferentz is a younger guy who is a bit more privy to the changes happening in college football, much, much more so than Greg Davis was and his, and his father, Kirk. But also, at the same time, you know, uh, his dad's going to have the final say on what we see. So a depth chart was released last week or two weeks ago, and it had two tight ends listed on it as starters, and that's sort of a new thing we've seen. Normally we see three wide receivers and only one tight end slot, um, which might be partially because Iowa doesn't really have any receivers coming back this year, too. So it could be out of necessity. But for the most part, I'd say it's going to be about 80 to 90 percent the same thing we've seen in the last few years. Yeah, Matt Vandenberg is the only returning wide receiver for Iowa that caught more than a pass for them in 2016. He re-injured himself in spring ball. What's his status? And then what's the outlook for the rest of that receiving group? Because like you're saying, it's a lot of unknowns there. I think uh, he's not going quite yet full going practice, but I think he's doing cone drills and all the running drills just uh, he's not doing any contact in practice, as far as I know, from what I've heard and read. But I believe he will be ready uh, September 2nd uh, for the season opener against Wyoming. Uh, I mean, we all better hope he is. Uh, as for the receiving situation, it's not not great. Um, <laughs> we, uh, you know, probably the other starter besides Vandenberg will be Nick Easley, who's uh, came from uh, Iowa Western Community College, caught about... 40 or 50 balls last year for eight or 900 yards and a handful of touchdowns for Iowa Western, which is really good community college, but you know, it's still not the, the big 10. Um, and then behind, after that, we don't really know. We, we believe there's a transfer coming in uh, from New Mexico. His name is Matt Quarles, but he only, he only caught, I think 12 passes for them last year, but they run a quadruple option offense down there. So at least he can block, and that's about half the battle for an Iowa wide receiver. After that, you know, there's a guy named Adrian Falconer who um, Iowa released. A, great name. Yeah, great name for a wide receiver. He uh, Iowa released a uh, hype video yesterday of some spring practice highlights, and he had a few good catches. Um, there's another uh, uh, true freshman named Brandon Smith who uh, we believe was a diamond in the rough coming out of Mississippi, had, had a handful of big offers coming in late in his recruiting cycle, but Iowa was on him early and he stuck with, um, you know, he, he was loyal to Iowa finding him early on. And then, um, you know, I think there's a really good chance we see our running backs, Akram Wadley and the new um, James Butler uh, come in and catch some passes out of the backfield or line up in the slot because they're both really talented guys and it's going to, it's in our best interest to get them the ball as often as we can. Yeah. Let's talk about those running backs. And for as many unknowns as there are in the passing game, in the running game, Iowa should be pretty stellar. Akram Wadley comes back after rushing for over a thousand yards. They lose LaShawn Daniels, but like you're saying, they add in transfer James Butler from Nevada who rushed for over 1300 yards last season. And what ways can we expect the carries between them divvied up. And like you were saying, they both have experience out wide. Butler had 37 catches for Nevada last year. Do you expect that we see them on the field at the same time a lot with one of those guys lined up in the slot as a receiving threat? I don't think we see them on the field a lot at the same time. I think it will certainly happen, honestly, though. I don't I don't see it happening regularly. I think you absolutely have to put them on the, same, on the field at the same time. But... Um, you know, it's not like I was going to start running the Wildcats. 
or anything or anything like that. You know, for the most part, they're still both pretty unproven pass catchers. And Kirk Ferentz, I was all about not taking unnecessary risks. So unless, you know, they really are working on going up in the sun practice, which I'm not so sure they are, uh, we'll see it. But I, I want to leave it on the table, though, and, and see what we can do because I think it, it's best for everybody if we can uh, get the ball in those guys' hands as early and often as possible. And I think lining up the slot, Akron Wadley, could be really dangerous. What's the status of the quarterback battle heading into fall practice? Um, you know, right now it's a, ra- uh, a race between Nathan Stanley, who's uh, just 19 years old. He was a true freshman last year and was the only quarterback that saw any time besides C.J. Beathard. Um, he's out in Menominee, Wisconsin, and uh, Tyler Wiegers is a junior out of Michigan, or Lake Orion, Michigan. I, that's a suburb of Detroit, I believe. And it's really between them. They're both about the same size, but neither, I guess, has shown enough to take shown enough yet to take the position from one or the other. When the when that depth chart was released a couple weeks ago, Stanley was the number one, and I do believe will end up being the number one. But also there's a lot of people who think we have a true freshman from Texas coming in uh, named Peyton Manziel. Um, so he's got a great first name for quarterback, maybe a scary last name for quarterback. And uh, he's been uh, every, from everything we've heard and read, you know, he tore it up in Texas high school football. And he um, I think he's going to end up giving these guys a competition more so than possibly they would expect uh, from an 18 year old coming in with only eight or 10 practices under his belt. And also it, it's really possible. We see one guy for the first three or four games of the year, and then they switch to another that's happened before under Kirk Ferentz. He um, doesn't have the best record with always picking the best quarterback for his team. And uh, I should also mention that Iowa brought in a former offensive coordinator to be its quarterbacks coach. Ken O'Keefe was the offensive coordinator for, uh, for, I want to say, 12 years before Greg Davis got the job back in 2012. And um, he's since been in, for the, he's been in the Miami Dolphins program for the past five years doing some scouting for them. And I think him coming back is a really big deal because he, he has experience uh, calling an offense and also has experience around uh, co- coaching really good quarterbacks for Iowa. Uh, Nathan Chandler and Ricky Stanzi and players like that. So I think we're going to end up probably putting the best quarterback out on the field, and that's Nathan Stanley or Tyler Wiegers, this true freshman, Peyton Manziel. I really don't think we should be surprised by anybody, but right now we just don't know, and we probably won't know until the first game of the year. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Peyton Manziel, the freshman, because Kirk Ferentz, whether fair or not, kind of has a reputation, I think, and you can tell me whether this is true, of at any position, maybe sticking more towards upperclassmen when it comes to these position battles. And we've seen it at quarterback in in recent years. Do you think that would be a a pretty big upset to see him get that starting job right away? And if he is to play, do you think it'll be maybe four or five games into the season and and trying to work him into that rotation? Yeah, I think it'd be, I would be, yeah, you know, I did just say I wouldn't be surprised no matter who's a starting quarterback, but I guess I would be shocked if Manziel is a starter on day one. It would make a little more sense if he ended up being the starter halfway through the season. If that does happen, we're probably in trouble because there's a reason he'd be starting later on and it wouldn't be a good one unless we got hit by the injury bug pretty bad. So, you know, I really, really doubt we'll see him starter day one. And obviously Kirk does have the track record of playing upperclassmen, but 
since these guys are so young, these cornerbacks and Nathan Stanley, you know, he, he got his redshirt burned uh, last year over Uyghurs was for filling in for some reps when CJ Beathard had to come off the field for a couple of plays. So uh, in terms of this quarterback battle, I don't think past record is uh, a great tell for trying to predict uh, what Kirk will do. Switching over to the defense, Iowa's always been able to count on them to keep them in games. They've always had a pretty high-level defense under Ference. And you look at kind of what they have in some of the pieces, and it seems like they're heavy at defensive end and at linebacker. What, what do you think the strength of this defense is going to be? Uh, the strength is definitely going to be the linebackers. We have Josie Jewell, who is legitimate Big Ten defensive player, the defensive player of the year candidate, probably legitimate first-team All-American candidate, if we're being honest. And behind him, we have Ben Neiman at outside linebacker and Bo Barr at weak side linebacker. All three are seniors. All three have been starters for three years or uh, or two, and or letter winners for the past three years. And it's honestly, this is honestly probably one of, um, this is probably the best linebacking core in all the Big Ten, I'll say it. And so it all starts and ends there. Uh, we have a really talented defensive front in front of them on the defensive line that should let these uh, linebackers do uh, what they do best. We have Nathan Budget, a returning, he's a uh, returning starter on the interior, and Matt and Anthony Nelson on the ends, both of who combined, I think, for about eight or ten sacks last year. There's a really good chance one of the Nelsons moves inside, though, because we have a true freshman by the name of A.J. Epinesa coming in, uh, four- or five-star recruit, depending on where you look, and he's absolutely the best recruit I was ever gotten, ever, for football. And he will probably, he should be, he'll definitely see the field day one. Uh, he's a true defensive end, and he's uh, already looking like a boy, a boy amongst men in his first few practices at Iowa. And I think it's really going to open up uh, what we're able to do uh, with our packages on the defensive front. Yeah, I was going to ask you about moving some of those guys to play inside. Do you think we'll see a lot of packages for Iowa where you see those defensive ends and a guy like A.J. Epinesa on the outside and you move those guys inside to maybe get more of a pass rush and get all of that talent on the field at the same time? I think uh, the most likely situation is where we move one of the Nelsons to the interior full-time. So I think Matt Nelson has been the popular choice for that. And um, he probably just becomes a defensive tackle now, which is, which is fine. And he, he is a little bit tall, but um, – you know, he's still really strong and talented and has a great first step and great hands. And I think it's just um, we do everything we can to get Epinesa in his comfort zone on the field and just put our best four guys out on the on the defensive line. And if some guy, uh, somebody has to play slightly out of position, then so be it. But I don't see any really goofy packages happening. Um, Iowa does have like a passing situation, third down package called Raider, where it's just three down linemen or or no down linemen and um, all the defensive linemen are standing up. Uh, I think we actually developed that to combat uh, Braxton Miller in um, back in 2013 or 2014, whatever that game was. And uh, it stuck, you know, it worked. I think we bottled up Braxton pretty well for the most part in that game. And uh, that's become a full, a full-time uh, wrinkle in Phil Parker's defense. And um, really it's worked. Um, it's gotten really great results and, Maybe we'll see it more uh, this year because we have uh, a deeper defensive line than usual, possibly. But in terms of, you know, sexy, weird packages aren't exactly the style of this defense. 
and I don't think they will be. Uh, looking into the secondary, Iowa brings back some talent, but they also lose what's been one of the, the better secondary players in the country over the last few years in Desmond King. What, what's been the talk about having to replace a guy like that, not only on the field, but also you would assume as a leader for that defense as well in, in the secondary? Yeah, the second secondary is a big, big question mark. Uh, not only did we lose Desmond King to graduation uh, earlier in the spring, we lost starting safety Brandon Snyder to a torn ACL. So now that that forced Miles Taylor to move from corner to safety, which and apparently he he's already won the uh, starting safety job, strong safety job rather, for that position, and he's even fielding a little punts in practice, but. You know, really, this is a, a big question mark secondary. We have Manny Ragumba, who was a true freshman last year out of Naperville, Illinois. He had a big, big interception against Michigan uh, coming in for an injury. And he's probably our most talented corner, even as only a true sophomore. Behind him at the other corner will be Josh Jackson, who saw a little bit of playing time last year, but not too much. Um, really, there's only about four corners on this roster, which uh, is a little troubling. For, for some, I would suppose. Usually Iowa likes to be a little bit deeper. But uh, they have a really good track record of developing young corners, like Desmond King started as a true freshman, and uh, Micah Hyde did too, and he's playing with the um, Packers now. So I I'm not horribly worried. The safety play might be tough because safeties are a really important part of Iowa defenses, and when you get guys who haven't really played the position much, it doesn't uh, normally bode too well, uh, but... I think if the defensive line and the linebackers can do what they do, that'll take a lot of pressure off of the secondary and um, let these guys learn and be ready for the Big Ten season when it starts. Before we get into the schedule and expectations for 2017, I want to get your thoughts on the job that Kirk Ferentz has done in recent years because the general college football internet, or I guess college football Twitter, has certain thoughts about him. I know I have my own thoughts about him that I, I've talked with Matt Brown about on this podcast. But how do Iowa fans feel about what Kirk Ferentz is doing right now in, in the program in relation to other Big Ten programs? Hey, man, let me start by saying we won 20 games the last two years. Like, who uh, who else can say that, really, besides Ohio State? But, yeah, you know, if you erase, erase the 20, magical 2015 season, you know, Kirk is definitely on the hot seat probably this year. But maybe not to, you know, he has a contract through the year 2090. So, well, um, you know, everybody has their own opinions uh, on him. I, you know, I'd love to say here and wish we, Iowa would have gotten Chris Peterson uh, when he left Boise State rather than Washington. Or uh, maybe, you know, people still freaking want to be Lamo when he left Wisconsin. The thing about Kirk is, you know, you know exactly what you're going to get. And um, uh, to quote Ricky Stanzi, love it or leave it. I was not going to ever get consistently four or five star recruits. They make their bread and butter on the offensive line. It's smash mouth football. It's, you know, they usually they don't go for the flashy players or the flashy plays. Even it's not it's not sexy football, but it wins games. It it allows this team to compete against higher competition and. Unfortunately, you know, a lot more often than not, Iowa often loses to lesser competition, but it, you know, I think his average wins is like 8.8 .8 wins, wins a year uh, over the last 17 years or so. And for Iowa, I mean, you don't want to be defeatist, but I mean, we're Iowa. That's, uh, that's sort of what you're going to get. We could be in a lot worse place. We could be in a much worse place. We could be in a 
I mean, I don't want to throw shade, but we could be Nebraska right now. We could be Minnesota. We, it's really tough to argue with 20 wins. It's really tough to argue with a 12 and 0 season. That's still fresh in the memory right now. I think he's bought himself some time and, uh, this season when he, he's had more adversity, uh, than he's had in the last few years will, um, and he's made a lot of changes, a lot of questionable personnel decisions, not questionable, but interesting personnel decisions. And I think this is a really big tell over, um, how the future of the program will look. Yeah. And I think that that's a fair assessment. And you talked about playing high level competition and there's a lot on Iowa's schedule this year. You look, they play both Penn state and Ohio state at home and then Northwestern Wisconsin and Nebraska in big 10 West games on the road. What do you think a fair expectation for this Iowa team is, you know, going even so back in uh, June, I started writing a column preparing Iowa for a five win season and, uh, Fourth of July, James Butler transferred to Iowa, and that's you know erased some question marks on the backfield. And we saw some other guys. We got Nick Easley, the transfer out of Iowa Western, and then we we got this other transfer um, from New Mexico, our wide receiver that I mentioned, Matt Quarles earlier. You know, I'm normally, if you know me, I'm I'm really pessimistic. But the more and more I looked at this depth chart, and our our linebackers and our defensive line and our offensive line, I mean. Those are probably three of the best units in the Big Ten right there. And that's how Iowa wins games. It wins the trenches, and it wins with incredible linebacker play. Uh, I think it's fair. Uh, this The schedule, I mean, it, it's a meat grinder. Even the first game of the year, Wyoming isn't a gimme. Pe- you know, Penn State at home is tough, but we usually play Penn State tough. And last year, I kind of want to say all right, we lost by like 40 points to them. I want to say it's a fluke, but who knows. At Michigan State. People are saying they'll be, I mean, obviously they'll be better than last year, but uh, who, who knows? Really, you know, Penn State and Ohio State are really the only games I see us having a huge lot of trouble. I don't think Wisconsin will be nearly as good as they were last year. Uh, Nebraska's still Nebraska. Uh, I think I think eight wins is a really, really fair expectation. Anywhere between eight and ten, nine, nine and ten would be kind of magical, if you ask me, if we get a win, sneak a win from Penn State or Ohio State. But, I, you know, I think... Anything below seven is, is sort of going to be troubling, given the schedule, uh, but also expected. So it's just another same old Ference type of deal. But I, I think, you know, the floor is probably around seven and uh, be really happy with eight or nine or ten. As someone that lives just outside of Boulder, I love all this shade that you're throwing at Nebraska. Oh, man. And, like, I, I don't know who these people are that are saying Michigan State is going to be better than last yeah. year, but, like, woo, I don't know. People like people are saying, oh, like, you know, all the guys are got getting older. They have more talent. Like, that team was senior-dominated last year. I think they had 14 or 15 seniors started on that Michigan State team. So, like, yeah, I get you get the some of the problems out, but – you know, you're going to be starting guys who have never played a college football game before this year. I don't see how they can possibly be any better. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Michigan State's going to be really bad this year. Last one, and I'll get you out of here. What do you think Iowa's place in the Big Ten West is right now? We, you've talked about Nebraska. Minnesota has a new coach coming in. Wisconsin is Wisconsin. It feels like people like to prop Northwestern up and think that they're going to be good this year. But <laughs> yeah, I yeah what, I, what do you think that, that they, where, where do they stand right now in the big 10 West? It's, it's pretty, pretty absurd. If you ask me, I think every, I think the highest I've ever read them in any preview, whether Athlon or ESPN or SB nation has been third, which I, I don't get, 
They always put Wisconsin at number one, which is really easy to do. But, I mean, people, I don't think Wisconsin's, they lose a lot of that defense they had last year. And, like, Alex Hornibrook's a starting quarterback. He wasn't good at all last year. And I don't expect he'd make a big jump in the offseason either. And then there's Nebraska. There's nothing that tells, I mean, there's nothing that tells me Nebraska's going to be any better this year than they were last year. And they weren't even that good last year. And the Northwestern's always Northwestern. They'll find a way to implode or lose games that they shouldn't and win a lot like Iowa. Lose games they shouldn't and win games that they or lose yeah or win this game win games that they shouldn't either, but um you know I really think they could uh, if they beat Wisconsin I see no reason why they can't win the Big Ten West at least come in second honestly I think anything less than second in the Big Ten West is disappointing because that means we'd lose to Northwestern probably lose to Minnesota lose to Nebraska and lose to Wisconsin um, or any combination of those teams uh, I really don't see how that happens again this year. Well, we've talked about how it may not be the most sexy thing in the world that Iowa is steady and you kind of know what to expect from them. But like you're saying, this could be a year where that really pays off. Wisconsin is always going to be in that first or second spot. But those other teams you mentioned, Northwestern, a lot of people are really counting on Clayton Thorson to take a jump. I don't know if how likely that is. Minnesota people are excited about with P.J. Fleck, but that probably won't come to fruition at least in year one, maybe in a couple of years from now it does. And then Nebraska, people really seem to like Tanner Lee, but this was a guy that didn't play all that well at Tulane when he was there. So it seems like all those teams, yeah, they have stuff that you would say, well, if everything clicks, then yeah, it could work. But Iowa and Wisconsin seem like the two that are going to be what they have been, and that's steady. Yeah, I think they come in with more momentum and consistency any other team besides probably Wisconsin or Northwestern and Northwestern probably doesn't have the talent to compete with Iowa honestly even though they did I say this after knowing full well Northwestern has a habit of kicking our butts especially last year but I mean we beat Northwestern by 40 in Evanston uh, in 2015 so you know really Wisconsin's the only team I see standing in our way of winning the Big Ten West. Well, if you want to follow any of Iowa's season as well as leading up to the matchup with Ohio State, make sure to go check out Blackheart Gold Pants and follow them on Twitter at BHGP. And you can also catch all of Ben's work there and follow him on Twitter at RenBoss23. Ben, thanks for joining the show and talking Iowa football and uh, throwing some shade at Nebraska. Hey, no problem. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Why do you play Indiana first game of the year? I don't know why they're doing that this year. and This is something we've talked about on the podcast. I actually like it because it gets the team ready for Big Ten play, and it's kind of a unique situation where they go on the road. But, but then they play Oklahoma. I mean, would that not get them ready for Big Ten play? That's very true. I, I also think playing a, a big-time team like that is a little more risky, and we've seen them do that playing Virginia Tech a couple of years ago to start the season. But I, I think maybe it's more so the Big Ten office trying to say, hey, we've, like seen, we, yeah, we've seen what the SEC does, and we've seen those early season games. And instead of playing, like Ohio State played Bowling Green last year, and I know Indiana played Florida International. Let's start the season off with a primetime Thursday night game. We'll even put it in indiana and get our marquee team in the conference in there and just let them let them go so i mean i think that it's probably the big 10 trying to implement more of what the sec's done and seeing what works than 
Ohio State, but Ohio State and that administration and Urban Meyer in general have been pretty gung-ho about situations like that and embracing kind of stuff that the Big Ten hasn't done. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, you have Kevin Wilson now too, so that's even more incentive to win, but I just think it's interesting. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting matchup when it comes to not only just how weird it is playing a Big Ten road game to start the season, but like you're saying, Kevin Wilson and that whole storyline with, with the coaches as well. Check out BlackheartGoldPants.com. Follow them on Twitter at BHGP and follow Ben on Twitter at RenBoss23. Anything else you want to say, Ben? Um, No, go Hawks. <laughs> all right, we'll wrap it up on that. want to thank you all for listening. Make sure to find the show at SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts as well. Be sure to subscribe by searching The Hangout in the Holy Land. Until next time, my name is Colton Denning. He's Ben Ross. This has been The Hangout in the Holy Land. Thanks for listening, and go Bucks.